Well, again, good morning, and we're so thankful for your presence with us this morning as we look to worship the Lord together. We're going to start today without our announcements, uh, and uh, looking in the middle of our announcements, that the Spins is meeting today from 11.45 to 1.30 at Hua and Solomon Liao's house, and the Young Adults Ministry is also meeting today at 12.30. Can you do me a favor during worship service today or after service? Say a prayer for both of these ministries sometime before 11.45. Let's say a prayer for these ministries really important, uh, just providing great places of fellowship for both groups that it just would generate so much energy for our church to, to see these things do well. So let's, let's keep these both ministries up in our prayers. Uh, prayer circle will be on Wednesday, July 17th, speaking of prayer at Pastor Gary's home. Uh, and the park will be meeting this Saturday, July 20th, 7 to 9 at Voyagers. Uh, the next one's special, Youth Sunday. That's next Sunday, July 21st. The park, so hopefully Pastor Jerry and Gary will have the day off, kind of. Um, the youth will be leading our Sunday service, um, and, and, you know, this is going to be really cool. For the young people, it'll be great because it'll be their peers. It'll be a lot of fun. It'll be very um, encouraging in your faith, I think. And for, for the adults, it's going to be great because I hope it'll be a testament to, for all your parenting, for moms and dads, and for all your Sunday school teaching It'll be a real testament to see what God is doing in the lives of our young people. So really excited about next Sunday. Um, this is important. There will be a baptism class on Sunday, July 28th from 11.30 to 2 p.m. Uh, any interest, please talk to Jerry. If you're not sure, just talk to Jerry. Really good. Um, and last but not least, we have an announcement for the ladies. And if Leslie's here. Good morning, everyone. Um, I just wanted to give an update on some of the activities we have going on for women's ministry. We're continuing in our Monday night Bible studies um, at my house. We've done two weeks so far, and, and it's not too late to join for any women who would like to join us. It's um, Mondays 7 to 9, and I think the, uh, the information should be on our website. Um, and so if you want to grow deeper in your study of Galatians, it's a great place to be. And also, if you want to just go deeper in your relationships with other women at Harvest, um, I also think it's a great place. Uh, place to be. You know, Mike Bosmaroff last week talked about community, the community in Harvest Community Church. And I really believe that it's in settings like Bible studies in a home, you know, where community happens. Um, so I wanted to draw attention to this event. In a couple weeks, we're going to take a break from Bible study and we're going to go see Dream Girls uh, at the Seagerstrom Center. There's a, a plaza right next to the big Seagerstrom and they do an outdoor movie. We're going to meet at 630, um, the women. So bring your, like, a chair and, and a dinner. You can pick up um, some food or bring your own. And then the movie starts around 8 o'clock. Um, but we'll, it's not that big. We'll be able to connect. We'll find you. Um, and I'll, we'll, I'll also put my, I think, text number um, somewhere so you, we can connect with one another. Um, so thank you. Thank you, Leslie. So this morning's message is an important one. And I, I, I think I shared this before from here, that just that... Um, you know, when we pray to God, what do we picture? Who do we pray to? And I think as a child, I'd also, also pick that picture of some old guy with the white beard with the, with, with the lightning bolt in his hands or something like that. And then later on, I think as we mature and, and um, we just have the picture that I guess the, the painters have painted of who they think Jesus is, that, that guy with the beard. But who is Jesus and, and who are we praying to? When we say, in Jesus' name we pray, what does that mean? And so that's what today's message is about. Who are, who are we praying to? Who is Jesus? Who is God? And being able to help us define that. And so if we could open up our scriptures, our scripture today is from John 1, 1 to 5. Yeah, let's, let's go ahead and open up. I'll, I'll just go ahead and read it. John 1, 1 to 5. 
starting from verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Well, it's good to be with you yet again. I love summer. Everybody's coming and going, and that means that everybody is really in a good mood. So that's always a good thing. Uh, my dear wife is a little under the weather today, and so she regrettably uh, has uh, not been able to come today, but uh, keep her in prayer a little bit. She's been battling with something for the last couple of days or so. Uh, we're looking at a, a passage uh, that uh, many of you know and understand and we've touched on before, but it's one of the instrumental passages in all of the scriptures, and it's John a 1, 1 to 5, and really beyond that as well. Uh, and really the setting for all of this is, you know, there was one day when Jesus, uh, I should say, was ministering to the multitude near the Sea of Galilee. And he spoke to his disciples, and he says, let's cross over to the other side. And uh, as they began to cross over, by the way, he was weary, and so they took their weary companion, and that was the Lord who was ministering to a multitude into the boat. And he fell asleep uh, there in the boat, and the boat was making its way to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But in the middle, sometime, uh, there arose a lashing storm that threatened to overcome the boat and all of its inhabitants. They were in danger of being swamped. And so, anxiously and somewhat peevishly, they went to their sleeping companion and they said, Lord, don't you know that uh, we're in danger of being overwhelmed and dying, and they, they shouted at him, don't you care that we're perishing? Uh, being reminded that there is no sinking with the Savior aboard ever. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ did not leave the glories of heaven in order to come to this earth and drown in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, he had a different mission that was going on. So Jesus arose, and he rebuked the wind, he rebuked the sea, and then he rebuked the disciples for their fear and their faithlessness. And afterward, the men were talking and mumbling amongst one another, and they said, Who is this man that even the wind and the sea obey him? And what the Apostle John does is give the most comprehensive answer to the most penetrating event and question in all of history. And that is, who, Jesus, who is Jesus Christ? And we're going to be examining all facets of the Lord Jesus Christ in the weeks and possibly months to come uh, in the Gospel of John. So we're going to camp out here for uh, quite a while. Now, the verses that we're going to examine this morning are something of an abstract, really, of the entire book. And uh, we are going to learn three characteristics of Jesus that's Mentioned in our set, in our, our, our set of um, uh, verses here, and um, each one 
is going to be freighted with implications. Your bulletin outline is pretty uh, detailed, and so you'll be able to follow along with me so that I won't lose your ball in the weeds, okay? Okay, the first characteristic of our, of our Lord is that Jesus Christ is God. It says there in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And then it says the Word was God. Over in verse 14, just dropping down a little bit, it says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. So there's no question as to the identity of who the Word is there in verse 1. And that would be, of course, Jesus Christ. And what God did is that he punched a hole in the world and Jesus Christ came down on that very first Christmas in Bethlehem and dwelt among us. He became among us. Now the question is, why is Jesus called the Word? Well, in Genesis 1, we find that the audible Word of God was his creative power in action. God said, let there be light, and there was light. In Psalm 107, we see that the audible word of God reflects his compassionate spirit and his redemptive love. The Lord sent his word, uh, the Lord sent his word and healed them. In other words, his word had not only creative power, but healing power as well. So when we talk and refer to Jesus as the word of God, it's very fitting. Now, in our text, I, I want to point out and highlight three specific characteristics of the Word. And first, we discover that the Word is eternal. You know, the human side of Jesus certainly had a beginning. He was born in Bethlehem to the Virgin Mary. But the divine side of Jesus already was. It says, in the beginning... In the beginning of time already was the Word. So John is saying, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word, already was. So no matter how far back we go in time, and even before time, we can never say, along with the heretical philosopher of Arius, that there once was a time when Jesus was not. Jesus always was. Now, if you exist and weren't created, then you're eternal. Now, the second thing we learn about Jesus is that we learn that the Word is distinct from the Father. Um, uh, it says the Word was with God. The Word, Jesus Christ, was with God. And it's a reference really to God the Father and really the entire Trinity. Father, Son, and a Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was, is alluded to here. Now, even though the Holy Spirit is not mentioned until somewhat later in the gospel itself. And then the third characteristic that we learn about the Word is that he's deity. Not only was the Word with God, but it says the Word was God. So everything that can be said about the Father, and it's a very explicit statement, and everything that can be said about the Holy Spirit can also be said about the Son. So in Jesus dwells all the wisdom and glory and power and holiness of God, God the Father, God the Spirit of God. And in Jesus Christ, the Father is known. Now, Jesus was subordinate to the Father on earth. We understand that. When Jesus took on humanity and came to this earth, he followed the will 
of the Father who showed it to him. But his subordination to the Father was his subordination to an equal. So they, they were together. Uh, this is really the benchmark that distinguishes Christianity from a lot of other religions of the world. For instance, Mormonism says that Jesus attained the rank of a God by his faith and obedience, but he didn't start out as God. A Jehovah Witness would say, well, Jesus was a God, but he was not equal to Jehovah God. Christianity, however, says that Jesus Christ is distinct from God the Father, distinct from God the Holy Spirit, and yet equal to both of them. Now, this is one of the non-negotiable elements of the Christian faith, and I'm being very strict here, but we cannot compromise the person of Jesus Christ in any fashion whatsoever, who he is and what he did. If we compromise that at all, then we really can't claim ourselves to be a Christian. Uh, a lot of people say have Christian morals and Christian behavior, but to really be a part of God's family, you've got to understand who Christ is and believe in how he's presented to himself in the word of God without compromise. Now, a little bit of a sidebar here. The dynamic love that exists within the members of the Trinity is hinted at if you drop down to verse 18, John 1, 18. It says, no one has seen God at any time. Now, this would be God the Father. But the only begotten Son of God, who is in the bosom of the Father, has made the Father known. Now, it's a beautiful statement and sign of the great intimacy and the unity and the oneness that is part of the triune God. You know, the best marriages get a little taste of this, uh, of divine intimacy. Uh, you give all you know of yourself in marriage to all you know of your spouse, but you know very little about yourself and even less about your spouse. But here you've got a Godhead with exhaustive knowledge, complete knowledge, of, of everything, and they give themselves to one another completely. So as our understanding of that kind of love deepens, it will revolutionize our gratitude to the triune God for what God has done for us and the place he has left us here as his followers, Jesus Christ. Uh, so the Lord Jesus is God. The second thing Jesus Christ is also the creator of the universe. Uh, John 1.3 says, All things came into being through him, and apart from him, that's Christ, nothing came into being. So Jesus was the agent in creation, and that's a very meaningful statement because he creates the world knowing that sin and rebellion would occur. He creates the world knowing that it, what it would cost him in order to correct it, but he did it. Now, the complexity, when you look at the complexity of what Christ created, you know, you can study a plant or whatever it happens to be, any living thing that we did not create, and you discover that it is beyond full knowledge on the part of a human being. We don't, we can't ever exhaust it. You know, when my, when my boys, and I had four of them, when they were small, we used to play kind of a game 
called What Did God Make? What Did Man Make? You know, and once they caught on to what was going on, they never missed it. You know, and I once in a while grab a, a young son and I'd say, Son, who made the shoe? Well, man made the shoe. Well, who made the foot that goes inside the shoe? So that, you know, you know and, and he says, Well, God made the foot that goes inside the shoe. Well, how do you know that, son? Well, Dad, you just kind of know those things. <laughs> I says, well, who made the chair? Well, man made the chair. Well, who made the trees that supplied the lumber that goes into the chair that man made? Well, God made the trees that supply the lumber that goes into the chair that mankind made. Well, how do you know that, son? Well, Dad, you just know these kinds of things. <laughs> who made the feather pillow? Well, man made the feather pillow. Well, who made the birds that uh, supplied the feathers for the feather pillow? Well, God made the birds that supplied the feathers for the feather pillow. How do you know that, son? Well, Dad, you, you, you just know these things. Why are you asking me all these stupid questions? <laughs> you know? See, children realize that what we make, what humankind makes, is simple, it's understandable, it's reproducible. What God makes is infinitely complex, and we could explore what God made, creation made, in dozens and dozens of lifetimes and never even come close to exhausting what it is and the meaning of it. So when we talk about Jesus, we're saying he is God and Jesus is the creator. And then the third aspect of Christ here is that he is the source of spiritual life. In him was life, it says in verse 4, and the life was the light of men. So all aspects of life are sourced in Jesus Christ. You see, evolution, for instance, has never been able to answer the question of life. How in the world did inanimate matter become animate? How did that which is dead become that which is living? See, spiritual life, has its source in Jesus Christ. We're all dead in our sin. We're made alive in Christ. So eternal life has its source in Jesus Christ. This is the record that God has given to us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Abundant life has its source in Jesus Christ. He said, I am come that you might have life, and I mean really live, have it abundantly. So life, in all of its ramifications, has its source in Christ. Now at the end of verse 4, we read that the life of Christ is the light of man. In other words, if we don't have Christ, we live in darkness, even if we think we live in the light. Uh, I, another illustration here, I, I was a counselor at... Uh, a little place called Green Oak Ranch. It was a, a little boys camp in Vista. Long, long time ago, uh, he knows about that. He was a, a camper there. Uh, Jeff was a camper there, and I, I might have been his counselor. I don't even know. But anyway, uh, it was back in the hills of Vista before Vista was very developed. And, uh, you know, there's about 10 cabins, and I had a, a group of about 10 10-year-olds, which was a riot always, in my cabin. And at night, you know, when it was just pitch black outside, 
You know, no stars, no moon, just pitch black. Uh, the flashlights came out. And uh, they would compare the relative brightness of each of the flashlights. And it was usually the flashlight that had the strongest or most batteries that happened to win. You know, flashlight wars, so to speak. But you had to do it at night because in the bright sunshine of the day, the various grades of light itself uh, are absolutely unnoticeable, you know, in the, in the brightness of the sunshine. And so there's a spiritual transfer here. See, as long as you and I are living in the darkness of this world, we can compare relative merits of goodness and see the difference between a three-cell life, if you three, three-battery life, and a two-battery life. We can see some people are a little bit better and behave better and are more responsible than other people. And we see that just in human life itself. But all the distinctions fade in the light of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In other words, his coming reveals the profundity of the darkness in your life and the darkness in my life. And what his coming does is it creates a fork in the road. Either we admit that our three-cell battery character is not sufficient for a ticket to heaven or we cl and claim the righteousness of Christ, or we reject the provision of Christ and do what so many people are doing today and hold up our flawed moral experience to a holy God. And if we opt for the latter, we will remain in darkness and we will become eternal losers. Now just a, a conclusion here. You know, C.S. Lewis, in the opening chapters of his book, Mere Christianity, says that there are three worldviews that compete for the hearts of men and women. Uh, the first is theism, and theism would be the biblical God to whom we can pray, to whom we love, and to whom we can have fellowship. The second is naturalism. The only thing that's real is matter. Uh, there's no spiritual world. There's no morality. There's no transcendent interference. Theism, naturalism, and then the third one is pantheism. Uh, pantheism says there's no personal God, but there is a life force that's everywhere, and we're all part of it. So naturalism says the only thing that's real is the material. The spiritual is an illusion. Pantheism says the only thing real is the spiritual. The material is an illusion. Now, as different as, natu as naturalism and pantheism are, they, all agree, they both agree on one area, and that is they both contend that the universe is fundamentally impersonal, without love, and devoid of absolute truth. And I would simply argue from personal experience, I would say, well, if this world is so impersonal, then why does every molecule of our body crave relationships? Uh, if this world is impersonal, then why is there no greater pain than loneliness? And if this world is impersonal, then why do we believe that love is the ultimate reality that gives life meaning, if it's impersonal? You see, if we deny absolute truth, then we have to answer the question, why do most professors of philosophy uh, dedicate their life to finding that which they've already deemed irrelevant? 
I don't know. Why is the idea of an impersonal world unbearable? Because this is not an impersonal world. Why is the idea of a truthless world unbearable? Because this is not a truthless world. Love and truth exist in this world because there's a God of love and truth who created it. Now, at times we have to bring our skepticism of our own fallen minds into accord of what our heart already knows is true. We know that this place just didn't develop itself. You know, some of you might be thinking, you know, well, I, I believe in God, Gary, but my life is just so spiritually inconsistent. And my word to you would simply be, join the club. It affects every single person in this room, every single church goer that's meeting in, throughout the world on this very day. Uh, you know, how can God hate how I behave and yet take delight in what I am becoming as a spiritual child. And God looks at us in two different type lenses. He looks through us in a narrow lens, and he sees a specific sin in our life, and he hates it. He doesn't like it. He's grieved by it. But when God looks at our life through a broad lens, and he sees the mosaic of what we're becoming in Jesus Christ, as we continue to grow, he delights in it. So one of the, the issues that we, we need to remember is don't give in to your pathology. You, know, you don't have to give in to that which would lead you in the wrong direction. Stay glued to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the Spirit of God gives us a lifetime to grow up, and every single one of us absolutely need it. Now, the reason you need a God in this life is because there is one. Jesus came to earth, he created and speaks truth into our carnal heart, and then he inflames it. Now, let me wrap this up today, and we're going to be short today because we're at communion, but a little bit of a sidebar about the dynamics that exist within the triune God. And you know, the late Francis Schaeffer wrote a number of books in the late 60s and early 70s, and many of you, and particularly if in my age bracket, you read all of those different books and understood some of them. But anyway, at, the, at, this, uh, at a particular time, he wrote a book called True Spirituality. It wasn't necessarily his best, but it was one that uh, was very insightful in a particular area, and uh, it was this. He said, if God were one and not three then he wouldn't have any fellowship prior to creation. And if that's the case, we might argue that for if God is personal, then he might have to create you and me in order to have fellowship. And if he did that, then God would not be self-sufficient. And the very fact that God is three persons and they enjoy perfect communion with one another, then God would be self-sufficient, and he would have need of nothing. He doesn't need us. He chooses to love us. You know, the triune God has this incredible ring of joy amongst themselves. It's kind of like a room full of mirrors just reflecting the lights of, of one member of the Godhead off to the other in just this full crescendo. And they eternally delight in one another 
and then willingly and amazingly expanded the ring of delight to you and to me. And it cost him dearly to do that. And that would mean the cross for the Lord Jesus Christ. But you see, that's, that's the kind of God that brings us back each week to harvest. Why do we show up to church? A lot of people say, man, I, I don't get it. You know, uh, you know, even last week, Mike made mention of it. I didn't even really want to go to church. What is it that creates consistency? It's really the understanding of the nature of the God that created us and redeemed us and how much he loves us, how much he pulls for us, what he has for us in the future, the fact that he instills this meaning and purpose in our life and we want to share it with other people. Therefore, we say, you know what? We need to get to harvest each and every week so that we can meet fellow people that are walking the path that we're walking and we can worship the God that did so much for us. I mean, God didn't need to create the world. He chose to create us. He chose to, to redeem us. He chose to give us a life that's infinitely beyond what we can imagine. And so we say, you know, it's only right. It's only right that we come, that we meet together, that we encourage one another when we're down to worship the living God who's done everything for us. It's amazing, God. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. And we, we grow incrementally, very incrementally in our understanding of who you are. Uh, every once in a while, just this bright light comes home and we say, oh my goodness, I can't believe how much you love us. What a privilege it is to be a part of your family. What a privilege it is to know that as we continue to march on through life, through the years and the decades, that uh, we're getting closer and closer to entering into your company, Father. And if you should uh, choose to return before that time, then we're going to be ready. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us understand that the things of this world do provide temporary pleasure, and it's wonderful. But help us to understand, Father, that they need to be buttressed uh, by the greatness of what you have planned for us. And all of the fear and all of the insecurities and all of the, the garbage we go through and all of the irritabilities we have with other people and sometimes the grudges that we hold. Father, all of that's going to be gone. That stuff that mars our life right now, it's all going to be gone because of who you are, what you've done for us, and how we will be perfected to super enjoy what you've, what you've given to us. And so we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. The worship team is uh, invited to come up here, I believe. Are we singing during this time? No, we're not. Stay seated, worship team, okay? And uh, uh, this will be a time when you can reflect at your seat and then get up and go get the elements that are up here and then bring them back at your seat and we'll take the elements together when everybody is finished, okay? God bless you.